Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss Delta's Investor Day and the operational mess in the Northeast leading up to the July 4th holiday. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? Hi, Ned. How are you? Doing well, doing well. It's uh, I know our listeners probably have been following the operational situation in the Northeast in the U.S., it's been pretty rough, especially for United Airlines. Weather has taken its toll, but so has air traffic control staffing. I, I want to say, listeners, we are going to visit this more in the podcast after the break. But first up, we're going to talk about Delta's Investor Day. Jay. Yeah, so Delta had a big uh, Investor Day event, which is where they gather the Wall Street analysts and, and some of their investors and kind of go give a deep dive look at their strategy. Uh, not so much... Uh, the current state of demand or, uh, you know, the not a whole lot of, of, of that sort of talk. We're going to get that in a couple of weeks when Delta reports their second quarter or the first quarter earnings. Uh, sorry, second quarter earnings. Get this straight. We're already there, Jay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm losing track of time here, but <laughs> losing track of time. But the uh, April, May and June, they're going to be reporting for that quarter uh, in just a couple of weeks here. Uh, and then we'll get a much better sense of how demand is 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 faring. Uh, they did, you know, they did say that uh, everything is still gangbusters. I think they're speaking more in general terms, but um, no no real signs yet of of any uh, you know demand deterioration. Um, or I, I should qualify that by saying there are some kind of anecdotal evidence that the fall might uh, might perhaps not be as uh pristine as the summer has been but but uh more on that as earnings season rolls what, around. Yeah, I, I, i'm actually curious what what um what anecdotal points did they did you say about we both listened to the call so i'm curious what uh what what you heard about the fall um jay well i'll give you a personal anecdote so i just booked a ticket <laughs> i just booked a ticket uh with my family uh three tickets for uh from Philadelphia to Denver round trip uh for $220 three tickets and that was on frontier wow. airlines they have a kids kids fly free uh promotion now is that just kind of some unusual exception who knows but uh you know and i hear from from other people uh that have gotten good deals it's starting to see kind of lower prices in the fall so you know, is that, uh, you know, can we extrapolate that to draw any conclusions? No, but uh, just something to keep in mind. No, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, so I listened to the call. I think one of the big takeaways that that I took away is uh, is that corporate travel, Delta's not expecting corporate travel to come back anytime soon. They, they talked about it plateauing, uh, roughly the 80% level of 2019. And that's what we've heard from across industry. And they're really not expecting a step up in that uh, for in the fall or, or maybe until next year. And because of that, they're really diversifying their business and looking at, at a lot of different things. And that kind of stood out to me when I was listening to the call and, and just what they were talking about. Right. And I, I don't think they're they're definitively saying that corporate's going to remain flat. I think it's more of a, you know, we're just this is so, so new. We're in a you know brave new world here. We don't know. Everything's very uncertain. So we don't want to assume that it's coming back. And so they're kind of moving forward with their strategy without building in that assumption. They're not, you know, they're not planning 
on uh, on corporate to, to to come back to it. So, but but I think that's just a big question mark. I mean, I think they even just talked about the uncertainty with uh, not just corporate but travel trends in general. Um, that we really don't know exactly how everything is going to pan out because you know as we've come out of the pandemic, we've done so in this environment where the economy has been rather good in terms of spending power. Now everybody's yep. waiting for that recession to come. I mean, they've been quarter after quarter, you know, the recession's coming, the recession's coming, and it never really comes. People continue to spend. Uh, will that eventually peter out? Um, I'll, by the way, I don't want to go off too, too much on an economic tangent here, but uh, uh, I, you know, to me, it's not uh, a huge surprise that Americans are still spending a lot. If you think about the fact that Oil prices are down, or gas prices, you know, just just down a lot. So you have that. The job market is still very healthy, and then you even, you know, you have factors like, uh, and it's kind of kind of strange, but we think of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates as being a, a dampener on economic activity, which is probably the case. I mean, it certainly slowed the housing market, for example. But you know, people are earning a lot more interest income nowadays too, so that could add to spending power. Um, that one's you know a little more more of a controversial or uh, disputed um, you know uh, idea, but uh, but in general you can see why um, with the job market being so strong and inflation coming down that people are still spending. Now that said, you know th there there are many economists, very good economists, who argue that uh, you know eventually all these interest rate hikes and uh, you know and, and other forces are going to. Eventually, well, and including the depleted spending that has been built up, you know, from various government programs during the pandemic, a lot of that stuff is is starting to disappear um, from people's bank accounts, and eventually people stop spending. Don't know where it nets out, but uh, that's what everybody's but watching so, for the fall. Yeah, everyone's watching it, but you know, one thing Delta said, and we've heard the economic argument repeatedly, but I found it very interesting was Delta was clear that their primary target customer outside of corporate is uh, our Americans that earn over $100,000 a year. Um, and so that's sort of the upper upper middle class Americans and they spend 70%, uh, they, they make up 70% of Delta's business. And it was funny, it was interesting listening to that because that's the segment that I think most economic data said are doing the best in, in today's current economy. So it's, and, and they continue to go. and. And anecdotally, you know, I mean, I'm buying tickets too, just like you are. Though I'm envious of that $200 fare you got to Denver. I'm spending 500 <laughs> to take my my family to Denver in, in August. So <laughs> summer travel is definitely boom. Um, but Delta really talked about how that segment continues to spend, and like you said, they've got excess uh, savings that were built up during the pandemic. Uh, you know, people that could refinance when rates were low have saved money there, and and everything. And it's uh, that doesn't show much sign of slowing down. And so it's a, to the recession point, you know, Ed Bastian, CEO of Delta was asked, like, is, is Delta, Delta recession proof? And he said, no, we're not, but we're much more uh, recession, um, you know, flexible wasn't the word he said, but just, just much more able to weather an up and down in the economic cycle because of their diversified revenue streams and a focus on diversifying revenues than, than they were before. And so it was, it's interesting listening to that, you know, and, and the, the recession talk is, is recession where art thou because we, we still have yet to see any sign of that in the U.S. You, you summed up all of the different indicators, Jay, quite well. Right. And, you know, Delta is really 
making a concerted effort to go after premium travel. And uh, they're, you know, outfitting their planes with more premium seats. They're adding more premium services. And that may sound counterintuitive, given the fact, as you alluded to earlier in this podcast, Ned, that uh, corporate travel is still not where it used to be. Um, and the corporate travelers are the ones who traditionally were purchasing these premium products. Um, and it's it's not quite that way anymore. I mean, you have a lot of leisure passengers. Um, Delta talked a lot about in their call the, you know, the baby boomer generation, which I think is sitting on something like seventy five trillion dollars in wealth. And um, you know, they're they that's what they want to spend on travel. They're not spending on goods so much as they are experiences and retirement. And you, you um, can only build so many decks on your house, Jay. But you exactly. can take count, count, as or, many trips as you want, <laughs> or, or buy as many car, buy so many cars and. <laughs> And uh, exactly. So people are purchasing, uh, you know, experiences more more than they are goods right now, which is a wonderful thing for airlines if you're an airline. Um, yeah, the way I kind of look at it, see, this premium um, sounds counterintuitive. Uh, but if you think about it, you know, if you go back in, uh, you know, 20 years ago, U.S. airlines, th there was a, a surplus of capacity. There's just a lot of empty seats in the sky. And so you kind of in order to fill planes. You had to just kind of be everything to everybody. You had to be both Walmart and Target, and even a little bit. I don't know what the uh, <laughs> uh, also Nordstrom, Nordstrom or something, or, Nordstrom yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, Nordstrom or something like that. You kind of had to be everything to everybody in order to fill the planes. It's reached the point where there's more passengers than <laughs> there are seats these days. There's such a shortage of seats that you can afford to focus on just being target and just you know if you want or maybe a little bit of ferrari also if you want to you know, use the car analogy you know bmw and ferrari rather than selling you know honda civics and i think that's delta's thinking um they they're really not so interested in the uh you know in in, in the very very price sensitive travel travel anymore and you can afford to do that given the supply and dynamic supply demand dynamics and how that's changed over the course of the past, you know, few decades. Oh, oh! Speaking of that, talking of supply and demand, uh, they gave a good chart where they outlined, you know, U.S. capacity is going to be what at 103 percent of 2019 uh, this year. But had we considered continued on the growth path the airlines were on in 2019, we would have been at 120 percent. So there is a 17 percentage point deficit in capacity and the economy is bigger today than it was in 2019. So I mean, now that really stood out as example of how you know the capacity limits in the restrictions in the market like you said there's more travelers out there chasing flights than there are flights and so airlines can get picky yeah it's it's a very favorable and we've talked about in you know in, in previous podcasts about how you know because of supply chain issues and and, and other factors airlines are not getting as many aircraft as they want and, and whatnot and it's both frustrating but in the end satisfying because it's really pushing all this lack of supplies pushing up yields and prices and uh and i should add by the way we have a, a skift has an intern that uh just uh, jessica wade who just wrote an excellent article on this premium strategy that delta is pursuing i encourage you to check that out uh but yeah we'll, we'll see how it pans out the other thing i just wanted to say before we move on from delta is that uh, they did update their 2023 operating margin guidance 
So Delta now says, uh, or previously they said that they were going to earn a 10% to 12% operating margin for all of this year. They're now saying it's a slight tweak. It's not a big one, but they're now saying that's going to come in towards the higher end. So closer to 12 than to 10. So good sign. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, that's positive there. They also say for 2024 that their operating margin will come in between 13% and 15%. Now for an airline, that's, that's very good. I mean, that's, uh, you know, if you're double digits, you're happy with that. And they're also, you know, predicting ample cash flow. And uh, it, it's so it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a rather happy picture. Um, and just the final thing uh, is, that I'll mention, uh, just for comparison's sake, in 2019, Delta earned uh, a 14, a 13.9% operating margin. So they're, they expect uh, next year to kind of get back to where they were in 2019. Although I believe Ed Bastian, Delta CEO, was adamant about stopping the comparisons to 2019. His message is that this is a whole new world and we're not looking back, but uh, you know, there you have it for your reference. Yeah, but we always look back a little bit, but but you're right. Like we to need look to look back. forward. <laughs> yes, yes. With that, we'll take a quick break and we'll be talking back to talk about some of the operational issues US Airlines are facing. And we're back. So Jay, this was not the week to be traveling in the Northeast, particularly in New York. We've had thousands of flights canceled across the airlines. United Airlines, though, has stood out as having having the most cancellations, which have continued. Um, and they've accepted that that is, is partially due to crews out of place and their own issues. But CEO Scott Kirby was very vehement that the FAA uh, failed, and those are his words, failed, uh, failed them in terms of air traffic control flow into and out of Newark, which is a big United hub over the weekend. So we've got that. You know, it's it's not the best time to, to have a, a big uh, operational snafu that as we head into July 4th travel, uh, which is one of the, the big summer holidays here in the U.S. It's not the busiest travel period of the year, but it is definitely a busy travel period of the year. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. Things will hopefully, by the time listeners, you listen to this on Friday, and we're recording this Thursday morning, things will be better and smoother. Uh, but it's uh, cancellation of the United has still been, been in the double digits. It's not uh, United, not Southwest at Christmas levels, which were, you know, 70, 80%, but it's still, you know, 20 plus percent. And that's uh, not insignificant, but it's, uh, it's something. Yeah, Ned, you've been following the details closer than I have um, on, on this particular, uh, you know, these particular issues here with the operations. Um, it does, it does feel like uh, this is a different situation from last summer in the sense that airlines really weren't prepared for it last summer. They were understaffed, um, part of that, not to their own fault. It was just, you know, tighter labor markets and whatnot. And the fact that the man just sort of sprung back and, you know, recovered suddenly and um, it was just, you know, they had a difficult time reacting airports as well, you know, with staffing. Um, it does sound like this is more weather slash air traffic control related. Now, what I don't know, I, I mean, I kind of, when I think of delays, I kind of think of, you know, several different buckets of things that can go wrong. There's of course the weather, which is always rough in the summer because you have the thunderstorms, which, you know, very difficult flying conditions. Then you have the air traffic control, which we know in the U.S. is, that seems to be still a mess this summer understaffing and probably 
you know, outdated technology, I imagine. Um, and then, you know, you have a staffing issue, which I, the airline staffing issue and perhaps airports we can add in there as well. Um, that does seem to be okay this summer. Um, and then I guess the fourth bucket would be sort of the internal procedures and the software that the airlines themselves are using, you know, what's happening inside these, these airlines. Uh, now we know that Southwest was, you know, had their, their big issue as, as you mentioned in, in Christmas time. Um, I don't know that something like that is happening at United or any airline this summer. Um, I just, I honestly, I just don't know enough, but uh, that's something to to watch out for. I mean, certain things, you know, whether you, there's not a whole lot you can do about that air traffic control, there's not a whole lot the airlines can do about that. Uh, so, you know, that's something to keep an eye on, you know, are the airlines handling it as best as they could? Are they handling it with the tech, appropriate technology? Do they need to make further investments? Absolutely. And you know what, speaking to the comparisons with last summer, we U.S. Airlines had been performing actually quite well operationally up until mm -hmm. this week, uh, yeah. this summer. So, you know, the argument is there that they have staffed up uh, appropriately and, and were, you know, scheduling appropriately for good weather. Now, the catalyst here was we had a, a couple of days of severe weather in the Northeast, particularly in New York. And that is where we all knew that the, the issues issues would be faced due to air traffic control staffing. Um, that was something that FAA made public earlier this year. And, you know, that just seems to have, at least for United, just sort of set off a sort of domino effect of, of delays and cancellations uh, across the airline. That said, they remain concentrated in, in Newark. They're a big hub there. And I think that has something to do with the, with the hub and spoke network that an airline like United. Sorry, my dog is uh, sneezing in the background here. Um, and tell, tell everybody, to... tell everybody what your dog's name is. My dog's name is Heathrow. She is, uh, she's, she's a very good girl and uh, has no issues with the two runway system that Heathrow has. But uh, that's another story. Um, but so you know, one of the things that Southwest faces their network is is point to point. So if a flight canceled in Baltimore, it would affect flights that go on to Nashville and St. Louis and Denver and Oakland and across the country. United's cancellation, United's a point-to-point -point airline, not a point, sorry, is a hub and spoke airline. And many of their planes, not all, fly back and forth between one hub and, and spokes all day. So if you look at the data, looking at Flight Radar 24 data, the cancellations are definitely concentrated in New York, at Newark. And I think that's a fact that their hub and spoke system is what it is. There are cancellations across the network. It's clearly spread, but it's not nearly the the eighty percent that we saw at Southwest over the holidays. Just I think in part because of that. Now you talked about technology. I haven't heard anything about United Systems failing. I've heard about them being some uh, crew rescheduling, for example, being overwhelmed. But none of the technology failings that we heard about with Southwest. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. We have Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg acknowledging that the FAA air traffic control staffing is, um, let's see, not at the level I want to see, especially in New York. But he also says that that the issues that like that United is facing are are not the number one cause is not air traffic control. Of course, he would say that, and United CEO would definitely say that it's not us. We'll find out. Some you know the truth will probably be somewhere in between the two of them. Uh, we'll find out that as as things come out out but it's uh it's it's interesting and you know i, I want to quote brett uh brett snyder uh, the cranky flyer here is that uh you know united uh, showed you know he, no matter how well you prepare 
anyone can have their operation torn to pieces by by bad weather. And you know, the next time that that hits, say if JFK had similar some of the similar operational constraints that Newark did, and um, the data suggests that FAA's flight cap at JFK wasn't as strict as Newark. We could be talking about Delta or JetBlue being the one melting down. So it's it's interesting, uh, but definitely uh, not a good way to enter the July Fourth travel holiday. That's for sure. No, no. And what's also interesting too is that you know we talk all the time about uh, how airline supply is uh, you know so limited, and uh, oh, demand is running out of supply, and airlines wish they had more planes and more seats. And you would think that would be helpful for managing airline operations, but I guess that everything is just so, all the flights are just so full that that makes it difficult to reaccommodate people and um, just kind of adds to the, uh, you know, just add to the challenges and trying to deal with some of these weather issues, whether they're operation caused by, you know, weather or otherwise. Oh yeah, whatever the cause of operational distress, I mean, the capacity limits and full flights really do make it challenging to to reaccommodate people. I, Remember last summer when I had my own uh, misconnect due to air traffic control in Germany over Frankfurt? I mean, it took uh, three days for myself and my family to get a flight home just because everything was full coming out of Europe. So, but you know, that's that's the truth. We're lucky we were able to we had travel insurance and we're able to stay in a hotel and and it was fine. But you know, for anyone who who doesn't have that, and if United is attributing many of these cancellations to weather or air traffic control, they technically don't need to uh, put up their their, their passengers in a hotel. But that's a whole nother story. And that's something that I know will be talked at uh, amongst passenger uh, concerns and the DOT. But it's uh, it definitely can be a challenge to get another flight out when planes are so full. Yep. Well, we got uh, another two months or so of summer. I guess things will start tailing off at the end of August, uh, demand wise. But uh, hope, uh, yeah, I hope it's not too challenging for anybody out there that's uh, plans to fly. Absolutely. Well, Jay, with that, I think we'll leave it there. Listeners, you can always reach us. Uh, I am at er at skip.com. Jay is at js at skip.com. Jay, always a pleasure. Okay, Ned. Yep. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.